Mr. Young, isn't that him? Hey. hey. Can you break a log like that? Don't know. Never been attacked by a tree. Welcome back, young grasshoppers, to the temple known as Not A Bomb Podcast. I am Sifu Troy. Not really. I don't, I don't have any degree in anything um, <laughs> outside of just general Jackie Chan film knowledge. But with hey, me don't is... Don't you have a solid English degree? Yeah, I got one of those. Okay. <laughs> it's, sometimes it works. Um, but uh, we're recording on Labor Day weekend, and with me is um, a, a martial arts guru in his own right, and uh, somebody who definitely deserves that extra day off for Labor Day weekend, because nobody works harder than the mo- for the money than Brad, right? Um, yes. Brad, that's, what they, that's what they say about me. <laughs> exactly. Brad, how, how is the uh, three-day weekend holding up so far? It is actually going really well. The mid... The Midwest is having like a really mild weekend, so it was only like 80 today. So awesome. yeah, that was great. East Coast, uh, it, was, it was nice and um, I don't know, fall-like. Uh, high yeah, you know, mid 70s yesterday it's, was it was awesome. It's been a little weird, but I'll take it. But nobody tuned in to hear the weather forecast of of like the Baltimore area or the um, Southern Indiana Louisville metro area, right? They, I, I, I hope not. Yeah, I hope not. It'd be a horrible <laughs> podcast. Um, they tuned in to hear all about movies that bombed. I mean, that's the theme of the show, right? Yes. So uh, this one's w- interesting, right? Yeah, we're so our thesis for this show was, hey, films that either bombed at the box office, right, were, were destroyed critically, and then like this third like small bucket, we thought we can always dip into this if we want to. It's like films that we want to champion because they're not seen enough. Or and, seen at all. Or seen at all. Yes. As a po- yes. So for this first one, wasn't even released in the United States. Correct. So, but, so we're kind of dipping into that jar and saying, hey, we've got a series of films that um, are huge internationally, domestically not so much. So we want to champion those. And... Um, for this month, we are doing the It Man Quadrilogy plus Master Z. Yes, it, which may be known as It Man 3.5 because it takes place in between the third and fourth one. Um, but yeah, I did, and technically, we, we used some creative math here and said, how, how can we talk about these films? Because we love movies where people are getting punched and kicked in the face really hard. Um, and we thought, well, let's champion these films. They they did not make enough money in the U.S. to cover the budget, so technically it meets one of our criteria or rules, right? So was a bomb in the U.S., although um, that could be debated. <laughs> and technically, I don't know if the first one of these films is a huge success. 
I mean, we'll see. It doubled its money, but you yeah, know, we'll okay. Yeah, no, it, it'll be interesting. Like I said, we, um, well, th- this brings up like we we usually kind of like to ask questions about a particular genre or exposure to it. And if we had a guest this week, um, we would be asking you know questions to help us understand where their tastes come from. But this one's interesting, Brad, because I think you and I, when we talk about you know specific Asian cinema um, and you know Hong Kong cinema. Uh, in particular, we're both huge fans. And and I would be the first to say that the action genre and specifically Asian films are the ones that if you if you line every genre up there and every type of film, I'm always going to pick this one out of anything else, you know, that is available to me because I this is just the ones that I love to watch. I think they're so much fun um and I think, you know, Asian film is is interesting because it it just it it exposes you to an entirely different culture and way of looking at things. I mean, my goodness, look look at their you know whole mythology around vampires. They hop. T- to me, that's fascinating, <laughs> right? But I have a question, Brad. So, how exactly did you get hooked on Hong Kong cinema? I mean, were were there some films that opened your eyes to it? Did you dip your toes in a particular way? Was was there a clear passage that brought you to kind of going man i have to find every film out there that came um specifically from this film industry because the hong kong film industry you know is huge um what you know how'd you get there so i think when brett was on here he and i talked about rap music and hip-hop culture um Mm -hmm. and one of my favorite groups is called the wu-tang clan and they were big in the uh early to mid 90s um and most of their songs revolved around mentioning um, mostly Shaw Brother films. Um, and a lot of the members of the Wu-Tang Clan take on nicknames of mm-hmm. um, some of those characters. Um, they had an so awesome rem- PlayStation game, too, by the way. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> which was originally Thrill Kill, but we'll... Yeah, that's just another story. But anyway... Um, we, uh, a bunch of my friends and I just kind of started to go down that rabbit hole. Um, and we luckily had this place in the mall that sold Shaw Brothers DVDs. And we would go, and at the time, I think they were like $35 a piece. Oh my gosh. Um, because it was a boutique place mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they're probably sold two or three, uh, DVDs a day, you know. So their margins were pretty good, but, you know, it wasn't a a best buy, but we would go and we would, you know, scrounge up money and buy these things and go back and watch and just become obsessed. Um, Was it those early DVDs that they used to put out that was sort of pan and scan? They were, yeah, it was the dub version. Terrible. Yeah. So, so yeah. So we would, you know, fall in love with the dub versions because, you know, it's super cheesy, but to be fair, the action in them was still really good. And yeah. Most of the stories always revolved around someone coming into town and trying to take over yeah. or steal someone's, you know, you know, there was always some entity coming in and the hero had to, you know, avenge the town, um, which, you know, in kind of goes to it, man, but we'll get to that later. But so it started like at Shaw Brothers, like I think, you know, seeing like flying guillotines and five deadly venoms and kid with the golden arms, um, you know, enter the 36 chambers. 
And then you see a guy named Gordon Liu, and you're like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. Oh, heck yeah. Like, eight eight I've, diagram pole fighter is my yes, favorite of his. Yes. Um, amazing film. Um, and so it kind of naturally moves into that. And then you're like, oh, but wait, you have to see this guy named Bruce Lee. And then you're like, okay, now I got to go see Bruce Lee stuff. Um, and then that just kind of slowly builds and builds. And then you're like, okay, I want to get a, not more Kung Fu, but like, let's see what kind of action there is. It's like, okay, so now we're going to go to John Woo films. So now we're going into John Woo and you're seeing, you know, I know it's cliche, but hard boiled is like one of the most amazing films I've ever seen, oh my especially gosh, yeah. when I was 14. Um, you know, and then you see the killer in a better tomorrow and you're like, okay, I'm definitely hooked. And it was just kind of that natural progression of starting somewhere and just kind of being addicted immediately. And then just trying to seek out as much as you could. Now this was in the mid nineties. So it wasn't as easy to get a hold of a lot of this stuff. Now, you know, I remember having a copy of hard boiled on DVD and, um, you know, many years later looking and it was worth like $150 cause it was like out of print and you're like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So, you know, there for a while that stuff was difficult, um, to get a hold of, but now luckily, you know, you can get things easily. So yeah, it was just kind of this natural progression. And, and ever since then, you know, I've been hooked and have loved pretty much everything that I've seen. Um, if the action is good, um, stuff like that. So I know your story is going to be very involved because to be fair, I think you have more knowledge on this genre than anybody I know with any genre ever, like you are known for this genre. So I'm, I'm curious to see what you have to say. So I'm going to sit back in my chair and just be quiet. <laughs> I'm not, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it, so there are tons of people, um, that know this genre way more than I do. And there, there's a friend that I talk to on a regular basis, um, Caesar, that guy puts everybody to shame in terms of just not Hong Kong cinema, but just Asian cinema in general. Um, mine is probably not, uh, the traditional entry point to, to Asian action cinema. Um, and I think it's kind of fascinating because you get introduced to it through music and that leads you down that rabbit hole, right? With the, and that's, I hear a lot of that. And Bruce Lee, I hear all about the discovery of Bruce Lee and then, you know, the clones of Bruce Lee and it leads you to Shaw Brothers and everything else. Mine actually didn't have anything to do with Hong Kong cinema. It had to do with um, 1981's Enter the Ninja with Franco Nero and Shokasugi. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so um, I was probably 9 or 10 when I discovered this one, and I instantly knew when I grew up I wanted to be a ninja. Um, and I, I love all the Shokasugi films, you know, especially the Ninja Trilogy Um you know, sometime we're going to have to talk about Ninja Three: The Domination. That that thing is just okay. Yes, yeah, we will do that crazy, tomorrow. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I, I discovered all the Ninja films. Um, I remember my father taking me to a double bill of um, Bruce Lee's uh, Fist of Fury and Chinese Connection, and thinking, yeah, that they're they're pretty good. I like them. Um, but it was actually Bruce Lee. Um, which was one of the Bruce Lee clones. Um, his real name is Wong Kin Lung. Um, and getting a hold of these Good Time video uh, VHS cassettes um, of a lot of his films. 
And um, there were a couple that I just, I, I don't know why they were just so out there and crazy in terms of action. And obviously, you know, Bruce Lee is trying to imitate everything that was Bruce Lee. Um, but it was a bit more absurd. <laughs> and I just watched these VHS tapes over and over and over again. And then I don't know if um, you ever caught this, but USA Network also had um, Kung Fu Theater. So that was like in the mid 80s. Um, and that is how you got introduced to a lot of the stuff that you talked about in terms of Shaw Brother classics or the Taiwanese Kung Fu films and stuff like that. So you got to remember that um, one of the things that Bruce Lee did is when, you know, those type of martial arts films, especially Under the Dragon, just kind of busted open the scene. Everybody was either trying to imitate Bruce Lee, you know, even people like Jackie Chan, if you look at his earlier stuff. Um, but there was just such a glut of all of these, you know, shot in a week kung fu films, and they're all over the place. And Kung Fu Theater on USA Network um, just showed them all, right? And I think I remember watching that on Saturdays. But the thing that 100% got me just hooked um, was a little film directed by the man who directed Enter the Dragon, Robert Klaus, but he did The Big Brawl starring Jackie Chan. Okay, now, I was wondering what the genesis of your Jackie Chan yes. was. So, is it Big Brawl? It, it is a little bit. So, like, Cannonball Run in, in that film, I recognized him as, oh, that's a guy who's doing martial arts, and it's kind of funny. But when you saw... So, where's where in contrast is that with, like, Police Story? Is it way before Police Story? Uh, yeah, the Big okay. Brawl is, is kind of... Um, when, when you look at Jackie's earlier career, outside of cloning Bruce Lee, when you get you know, to things like The Protector, The Big Brawl, etc. That is um, the American studios really, and Big Brawl, I believe, was produced by Warner Brothers, which also, you know, did Enter the Dragon. They're trying to bring, you know, Jackie into the spotlight, and it was really the first time I discovered just sort of something other than somebody trying to imitate Bruce Lee and sort of the Shaolin Temple films and Gordon Liu and all that other stuff. So I remember renting that thing over and over and over again. I mean, to the point that I think my parents just got totally sick of it as many times as I would rent it. I was probably the only one that rented <laughs> it at the store in Wichita, Kansas called Popcorn Video. Probably so. Um, and then there was another film that totally blew my mind that I discovered um, right after. And even when I saw Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee was kind of, he, he was cool, but I was... I, I was more fascinated with Jim Kelly. I thought he was the coolest guy out of Enter the Dragon. Okay, yeah. And when I discovered Black Belt Jones, that just blew my mind too, um, which led me down the whole path of what was going on, you know, in the 70s um, mm. when, you know, really black exploitation was, was trying to bring in the kung fu elements of the Shaw Brothers, you know, into films. Um, and like you, I, I think it was, you know, high school, stuff like that. Um, for me, where I discovered John Woo's The Killer, and I remember renting that over and over again, led to hard boiled down that track. And um, I, th I think from then on, it, it just, I had to find everything. And at that point, like you said, finding these films, especially in the early 90s, wasn't easy because there wasn't a huge market for it. Um, you know, it, it got a little bit easier when Jackie Chan released Rumble in the Bronx and all of a sudden everybody was kind of fascinated with that, and especially John Woo's The Killer. But you got to keep in mind, you know, outside of VHS and early stages of DVD, I mean, I, I, I still have all my VHS tapes of Jackie Chan's earlier films, um, 
that you know police story hadn't really hit uh in terms of full circulation the way it hit after rumble in the bronx so i think the first copy i got was like a fourth generation copy with no subtitles and you know you're watching it and it looks like somebody smeared vaseline on the tv yeah because I, I remember we would make like copies of copies yeah. and making copies and it was like you know multiplicity where you know at some point in time it, it looks you know terrible but you didn't care at the time because you had it yeah and 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 what I found was if you could get a hold of a Laserdisc player and you could find somebody who was shipping Laserdiscs overseas, um, you could get Laserdiscs and then um, make copies of the film on VHS and trade with other collectors. So that's how I discovered Jet Li, Donnie Yen, Michelle Yeoh, Yunwoo Ping, all of you know those films. Um, Jackie Chung. I mean, like one of one of my favorite like cop films is um, Pom Pom and Hot Hot with Jackie Chung, which you probably never heard of. And I no, I have not. Yeah, <laughs> I I've liked that on Laserdisc DVD. Um, but yeah, I just it it was weird to kind of get introduced to martial arts films through the ninja films and thinking, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a ninja. Obviously, it didn't happen. Um, but it it just took you on this path to you know all of Asian cinema and then. When you discover all of the films that are coming out of the Hong Kong film industry from like late 70s up until early 90s, it is ridiculous. And I mean, it's not just the John Woo stuff, but, you know, e even things um, from an art house perspective uh, like Ashes of Time, which is which is a fantastic film. Um, but it's, you know, Wuxia film with a with a little bit more of an art, art house touch to it. Um, but there, there's so many films and they, they would make them on the cheap and, um, you know, everybody kind of talks about the research, the, the sort of, um, I don't know, surgence of female action heroes in American cinema. I mean, come on, man. The, the eighties was just filled with, um, you know, Cynthia Rothrock got her start in the films over in the Hong Kong film industry <laughs> and yes, madam. And, and, you know, that stuff was just fantastic. So uh, I, I'm hoping that if anybody is just dipping their toes into this um, now with movies like Ip Man, Netflix actually is a good source for older Hong Kong films. If yeah, you wanna, if, you know, I'm impressed. Yeah, if, if you're like, wow, I, I kind of like Kung Fu Hustle with Stephen Chow, you can catch a lot of older Stephen Chow films that were coming out in the early 90s, late 80s on Netflix and streaming services now. So. Um, I just wish this was available, what, 20, 30 years ago? Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I know, I know. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, I'm always interested to hear everybody's story on how they kind of discovered it, because it, it never is a direct correlation. Like you, hey, I was listening to this group, their theme is off of martial arts films, and then boom, I, I landed in John Woo's lap, right? For me, yeah. it's Franco Nero, you know, the guy who was... Was it Django in the uh, Italian spaghetti westerns? Was playing ninja. Next thing you know, I'm buying everything with, um, uh, you know, Sammo Hung and Yum Biao, and oh my God, we we can just go on and on. But we're here to talk specifically about one film. What is that today, Brad? That is It Man from 2008. 2008 It Man. Um, so there are a lot of famous martial artists that have hit. Um, the, the stateside, right? So Jackie Chan, right? Yes. Jet Li has had a pretty good career over here. Yeah. Chow Young um, Fat. Chow Young Fat and Donnie Yen. Um, we'll talk about this probably the next episode because this month we're, we're going to get through all the Ip Man films. 
Um, and Jackie, it, it seems like a lot of these big stars, they have this series of films that, you know, they're just known for. So Jackie Chan, probably Police Story. That's the series that has, you know, he has the longest running series. That's Police. it. I mean, that's the one for me. So, yeah. and I'm, I'm probably, uh, obviously way less of a, of a Jackie Chan fan than you are, but that's what I would go with. So. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you, you would look at Project A, Project A 2, the Armor of God series. I mean, he's got series, but nothing yeah. as long lasting as Police Story. Jet Li has the Once Upon a Time in China films, right? Um, Donnie Yen it has Ip Man. I mean, he's, he's pretty much taken this character and made four films out of it. But we kind of hinted at this. It it had a little bit of a rocky start in terms of its reception to the U.S. And even when I watched it um, for this week, I went back and pulled out my um, Blu-ray, the Universe Blu-ray that I ordered from Hong Kong. <laughs> so I think WellGo USA released it, and you can easily watch It Man on, what, Netflix now? Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, the subtitles are a little wonky, but they're not bad. Um, and I, I tested out the dub version and it's pretty atrocious, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and when I had heard about this film, cause I'm, I'm, a, I, I mean, I love Donnie Yen. Everybody is talking about Milan, for example, and who's going to pay $30. And when it comes out in three months on Disney plus who buys a subscription, you did well, this guy put his yeah. 30 bucks down this weekend and watched it. Cause it had, you know, Jet Li and Donnie Yen. So, um, but this one didn't have an official release right in the u.s when it came out did not does not have an official u.s release made zero money uh domestically in 2008 and 2009 so, so. does that mean it so if it was never released does it yeah it was a bomb right is it a bomb for never being released i guess <laughs> okay um which <clears throat> so i'll, I'll just kind of go over quick and these are american numbers so about 11 and a half million dollar budget makes about 22 million so you know doubles its money um china which you would expect this film to be huge in china it made right. over 13 million dollars um hong kong you would expect it to do pretty well in hong kong it made over three million um in malaysia another you know one and a half and then um singapore two million so you know it, it does quite well in, in some of these markets um but, but it, its biggest market is in mainland china correct Oh, yes. Yes, okay. by far. It's, yep. you know. So listeners remember that because that's going to become important when yeah. we talk here in a little bit. Um, which I find also uh, kind of sometimes what they do um, when a film is out, they, critics will kind of go back and, and review it now, mm -hmm. later, just so, you know, it, it, they have reviews of films. Um, it Man has 27 reviews, is at 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, that's good. But the audience score is 93, which, Ooh. spoiler alert, I think is a lot closer to what it should be. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so everyone kind of, you know, universally this film is praised for its action, uh, rightfully so. Some people feel the story is okay, some people think it's bad, and then some people think it's great. So it kind of runs, basically, the the... The determining factor of whether or not you like this movie is the story, which I feel like for all like Kung Fu movies, it's whether the story can kind of get you from action point to action point. So, right. Pretty, pretty standard. So, um, now I couldn't find what else came out in Hong Kong in, in 08 or in 08 in December. 
So I was kind of building a reference point for what came out in the United States during that time. Okay, and, so what were the stupid American capitalist pigs watching when they should have been watching Ip Man? Well, you know, we talked about this film last week, uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Oh, you love that film. I love it. Love it. <laughs> um, actually, a, a series of films that I kind of quite enjoy is the Transporter series. The third one comes out in uh, in December. With Jason Statham, right? Yep. Okay. Um, Which Valkyrie. is interesting because the first Transporter film was directed by Corey Yoon. Um, which was one of um, the, I, I guess you would call them brothers of Samuel Hung, Yim Biao, and Jackie Chan in the Peking Opera. So. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, Valkyrie comes out. Tom Cruise. Yes. Um, Gran Torino. Oh, uh, get off my lawn. Yeah. A lot of Asian slurs in that movie, so there's <laughs> like, you know, this weird... Uh, then you have The Day the Earth Stood Still, which, boy... Ooh, if, you need a good, if you need a good nap, that's a good movie to take a nap to. Uh, Revolutionary Road, same thing. You can take a good nap during that movie. Uh, Seven Pounds, the Will Smith movie. Um, oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. I totally I forgot about that one. Bedtime Stories, which comes out on Christmas, is the Adam Sandler movie. Oof. I remember uh, taking the kids to that one. I, I think yeah, they would have really appreciated You ruined this one their instead. Christmas. <laughs> I think I did. Uh, uh, yes Man. Um, Marley and Me, uh, Ombak 2 comes out in okay, December. Okay, Tony Jaa. Yeah. So, um, uh, what else is on there? That That is interesting that you, you, you get Tony Jaa, um, Ombak 2 to get released over here. And I believe you know, the first Ombak did pretty well. It, it did. It was, it was released by Fox Searchlight, I think. At that Searchlight. Point. Yes, that's yep. correct. Okay. Um, yeah, Frost Nixon, uh, Let's see, cardiac or Cadillac Records. Uh, oh man, the Spirit, <laughs> uh, Punisher Warzone. So for people internationally, uh, December is a pretty big month for movies because a lot of people are off. Right. Uh, Christmas time is a big time uh, to go see movies. So that's why there's a lot. Uh, Doubt comes out, um, which it, I believe is the film that uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman Philip won. Philip Seymour Hoffman, right? He won an Academy yeah. Award for that one. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the big ones. Oh, Defiance, the uh, Daniel Craig oh, okay. film. Yeah. So yeah, that's. I, I mean, that's a pretty respect. What I find interesting over in the U.S. in terms of that release schedule is you are getting a little bit of um, Asian cinema going on. Yeah. Um, and or films like obviously Transporter is heavily influenced by Asian films. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, you know, for for Hong Kong film uh, goers, you know, December is huge, but it's not as big as Chinese New Year. Um, those are when the big films come out. Okay. So if, if you're, you know, looking around the beginning of the year, that's when studios will usually line up their heavy hitters, which would be the equivalent for like the U.S. market doing around Christmas time. Right. OK. Now, do you know what the uh, Chinese, the biggest grossing films of 08 uh, were? No clue. Okay. What if I said the first one was Red Cliff? Because we talked about this director. Ooh, John Woo, yeah. Yeah, John Woo. And um, uh, I'm trying to... <laughs> no, I thought we talked about this person, but we didn't. Um, have you seen both? You've seen both of those, right? The Red Cliff one and part one, part two? 
I, I, yes, I believe I have. Yep. It's been forever since I've seen. It, it's the, one of those where I know I've watched it because when I think I held out for the two film version. Oh, okay. Because I, I think, and th- it's one of those where I remember liking it, but not being wowed by it. Yeah, I, I wasn't. So. It was impressive to see some of the stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's big battles and stuff, but I, mm-hmm. I ultimately feel like I'm a one and done with that movie. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. So I just thought, you know. Red that, that is I mean it, it was it was a huge event I know that. Oh, and yeah, I, I was yeah. excited, you know, when they were going to release it, but I know that they were doing, you know, a cut version where they were trying to, you know, take um really two movies and get it to one, but I believe they released that over here. I you know, don't quote me on this cuz I didn't study for this one. Um but <laughs> I do have like the uh the the version that was broken up into to the two parts. Yeah, so again, we're looking at uh It Man Remember, this one makes twenty about $22 million American because uh, there will be a common theme uh, going throughout the rest of these with the uh, intake of money. So Right. Well, and, and Ip Man is kind of interesting. So, director, Wilson Yip. Are you familiar with Wilson Yip? I am not. Okay. Um, so, prior to Ip Man, because Ip Man comes out in 2008, um, he, he's... A prolific director, but I'm going to start around 2005. Uh, so he makes a movie with Donnie Yen, um, and it's SPL, also known as Kill Zone over here. But it has Donnie Yen, Sammo Hung, and Wong Jing. So um, okay. I, I don't know if you've seen this one. This one a lot of people gravitate to because of a alley fight between Donnie Yen and Wong Jing with the knives, and Donnie Yen has the baton. Um, I just added it to my list to watch. So Yes, it, it is fantastic. So they work <laughs> together on that. Another fun one. So after 2005 and 2006, he does Dragon Tiger Gate with Donnie Yen. Um, I believe that's based on a comic. And uh, that, that is a great film. It's just fun. So if you want something that is a um, <laughs> switch, you know, the brain off and just watch the face kicking, uh, Donnie Yen's fantastic in that. He follows that up the next year with, uh, now I'm just going to say it. It is probably my favorite Donnie Yen film. Um, and I, I think it's amazing. It's Flashpoint. Have you seen Flashpoint? I have not. Okay. But... So what is interesting about Flashpoint is you get to see Donnie Yen starting to introduce um, mixed martial arts into his fighting style. Um, and by fighting style, I mean his cinematic fighting style. And I will say that probably the last, you know, 15, 20 minutes of Flashpoint just rivals anything that has probably come out in that decade. It is absolutely fantastic. It's one of my favorites. And then the year after that, he continues working with um, Donnie Yen and comes out with Ip Man in 2008 and uh, follows that up with, um, I believe Ip Man 2 came out two years after that in 2010. So Wilson Yip and Donnie Yen have a have a very prolific working relationship, especially for that period of you know five or six years. Um, and and quite honestly, he he makes some of Donnie Yen's best films. Well, in my opinion, he made Donnie Yen's best film, Flashpoint. Um, so if sc- I'm going to watch Flashpoint or SPL, watch Flashpoint first. Watch them both. Well, which one am I watching for? Flashpoint first, right? Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, and you know, everybody will debate. So they're blue in the face what their favorite, you know, fight scene is and Donnie Yen film. And, you know, we could we could if you pack the lunch, we can talk about all of Jackie Chan's, you know, fight <laughs> scenes for the next eight hours. Um, 
but you know, behind the scenes. So what's interesting about directing an action film in, in Hong Kong, right. Or, you know, China in general is you have the director and you have the action director and the action director is just as important um, as the director, especially for the fight scenes, because they're not just doing the choreography, but they're also heavily involved in the cinematography um, and are doing everything, you know, comparable to what a director would do on a film. It's so important over there that if you were to kind of look at the, I think it's called the Golden Horse Awards, which are the equivalent of the Academy Awards for like Hong Kong cinema, they actually have, you know, a fight choreography where they will pick and, and pretty much hand out the most prestigious award for um, fight choreography. Um, and again, I, I could probably be getting the ceremony or, or everything wrong on that, but just think about, you know, the equivalent of the Academy Awards over in Hong Kong and the action director and the fight choreography carries just as much weight as probably the best picture win, right? Um, and I and I will be one of those that if you go to like yesasia.com or something like that where you buy Asian films, um, I think they used to point, you know, post what the winners were and I would just immediately go to who won or who was nominated for the action choreography that year and you just go and buy all of them because they had to be good. Um, but behind the scenes, the action director is Sam Hung. Sam Hung is, again, an icon in action cinema worldwide. Um, he, most people will know Sam Hung from a show that he was on called Martial Law. So he actually did kind of um, break into uh, the American, you know, scene, but not so much on the big screen. He, he did a lot of work behind the scenes for even Jackie Chan made, or Jackie Chan made American films, but um, most people will know Sam Hung if, if you just go Google martial law TV series, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I remember that. Yeah. Um, and I think it always got paired, paired with that, uh, what was the Texas Ranger, Walker Texas Ranger, oh. the Chuck Norris one? Yeah. Yeah, there was always like, you know, back to back. The screenplay is um, for Ip Man was done by Edmund Wong and Tai Li Chan. Uncredited, though, is the Chinese government. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. <laughs> um, Are you going to spoil this and tell me this is a huge Chinese propaganda film? <laughs> <laughs> patience, Grasshopper, okay. patience. So we got Donnie Yen. We got Simon Yam. You know you Simon Yam, right? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think, has he been in any American films? He was in the Tomb Raider sequel, I think, for like... Uh, the Cradle a, of Life? Yeah, just sort of in the beginning, sort, yeah, sort okay. of a throwaway baddie. Um, Si Wong Fan is Jin. Um, Hiroki Ikuchi, Mira, and uh, Jing Yu is Lin. So most people will recognize Donnie Yen. Um, we will spend a lot of time probably on the next episode specifically talking about Donnie Yen and I think Sammo Hung. So Sammo Hung is behind the camera in this first Ip Man film. Um, he is also behind the camera in the second one, but he's also in front of the camera. So I, I think we should save, you know, we typically talk about, you know, sometimes these actors and spend a little time on their filmography and go through, you know, our favorites, et cetera, et cetera. I really think we should save that discussion for Ip Man 2. What do you think? That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, we okay. can. Yeah. Um, We're at almost 35 minutes, so we haven't even started talking about the movie yet. So, yeah, we should probably. <laughs> well, and, and before we do, we, we kind of got to talk about something real quick. So um, we need to talk about the environment this film was made in. So one <laughs> thing to keep in mind 
is it was made in a post-colonial Hong Kong. Um, what What's your history on Hong Kong, Brad? Um, I just knew that it was a British colony for a long period of time, and then they were given their freedom, essentially. Yeah, so, well, <laughs> what what happened in 97... Well, free, free, freedom. <laughs> yeah, you're using air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it was uh, a British colony in 97. It was handed back over to China. Um, so, when I say post-colonial Hong Kong, we're talking about, you know, from 97 on. Um, and today, um, Hong Kong has been granted what you might call relative, and I'm using air quotes now <laughs> um, with my fingers, um, legal, economic, political autonomy. But you'll hear this slogan today um, where when they talk about China and they specifically talk about Hong Kong, it's one country, two systems policy, right? So you've got mainland China, and then you have Hong Kong, which is sort of the bridge between um, really the Communist Party and you know, capitalism and democracy kind of goes through Hong Kong. <laughs> so China's control over media is very per pervasive, okay? And we're talking about mainland China. So Hong Kong had a separate set of articles protecting freedom of speech, freedom of the press, general publications, right? Now, that's important, not for this film, but it's important in today's environment because in June of 2020, so just this year, and if you're paying attention to international news, this is sort of a big deal. In June 2020, under the Hong Kong National Security Law enacted by the Chinese central government, the commissioner of police was granted the authority to compel cooperation or the removal of content by service providers if deemed a threat to national security. Um, and they get to decide what the threat is, correct? Correct. It's very subjective. Yeah. So if you have any type of... I, I would just say uh, post or, you know, general public sentiment that is hatred against the government of China, Hong Kong. Basically, if you talk bad about the politics in Hong Kong or China or say anything in public, or I mean, they'll they'll come crashing down on you. That's why there's really not a lot of social media, if any, out yeah. there because it, it's all controlled. Right. <clears throat> and this has been a long time coming. So. Since 97, um, and there, there's a lot of good research and interesting articles, what's happening this summer, um, it, it's been slowly getting there. Um, so what does that have to do with Ip Man? So it really has to, how do I say this? Ip Man is created in a very unique environment. So the movies that we just talked about, when we talked about the, like, the love of Hong Kong film, you got to think about those being done in a industry where sort of anything goes, right? Because it was a British colony, they could tackle a whole lot of subjects, but if it was, and, and they had a good international market. So that's why there was a lot of exposure to um, Chiang Fat, you know, Jackie Chan, Jet Li, all of that stuff, because their product was circulated as well. Even, you know, people like Stephen Chow. But w today, if you're making a film, you've got two choices, right? So you can do a Hong Kong, China co-production, which basically enjoys the same terms as Chinese productions, okay? So um, it, it's full distribution. Or you can do an import under the Closer Economic Partnership arrange, Arrangement, known as CEPA, C-E-P-A. And it basically means that local movies are entirely produced by Hong Kong companies, 
and they are exempt from the quota set for foreign movies in mainland China. So a lot of American-made um, products, when they're shipped over to mainland China to be shown, they will only show so many foreign films. And once they hit that cap, they're done for that year. And they will always take a back seat to the local product that's made in you know, mainland China. So if you're a Hong Kong producer, and um, you said the figures for Ip Man were what in mainland China versus Hong Kong? What, 13 million versus 13 million, three million? yeah, yeah okay. 3 million in Hong Kong. So most of Ip Man got its money from mainland China audiences. Um, and there's some regulations too. So anytime you do some of these co-productions, you have to use one-third mainland cast and the story has to be related to China. Now this is where it gets really interesting. So I was joking around about the screenwriters, the uncredited Chinese government for the screenplay of Ip Man. Well, here's how it works. So you've got the State Administration of Press Publication Radio Film and Television. It's known as the SAPPRFT. I don't know how you say just that. just rolls off the tongue. It does. So let's just call that Chinese Big Brother. Um, and just me even talking about this probably they're, means that... They're coming to your house. They're coming to my house and... We, we would be censored by just bringing this up, right? So anytime you're going to make a film and you submit your screenplay and you say, hey, here's what our story's about. Here's what we're going to shoot. Chinese government is saying, okay, we're going to look at that story and we need to run it past some people, even before we approve it or you get the green light. So Chinese history, especially modern topics of Chinese communist revolution or the cultural revolution, or famines that took place between 1959 and 1961, or if it's some way related to the CCP and their families, if, if your film project touches any of those topics, then the CCP History Research Center and the party of the five leaders and their living family members will be a part of the censorship process. So they're going to go through everything and say, There's you can't so do much this, red, you can't do this. So right. much red tape. Oh, yeah. Now, if it's a spy thriller, so you're shooting a spy thriller, right? and it's a, it's a co-production, Hong Kong Chinese co-production, then the censors, um, the organization itself, is going to consult the Ministry of State Security. Um, if it has minority characters in it, they're going to talk to the State Ethnic Affairs Commission. Um, Health-themed dramas will be censored by the National Health and Family Planning Commission. So any of those topics are in your screenplay or film, that you know censorship is going to take it to that group and get their opinion on it. Um Let's see, health-themed dramas, National Health and Family Planning Commission. We talked about that one. Cop movies are reviewed by the Ministry of Public Security. Um, films addressing spirituality will be censored by the State Bureau of Religious Affairs. And Ministry of Education will kind of look over any films that have students or schools in their plots. So Big Brother looks at your script, looks at your film, says, oh, what's the topic? Then we're going to give it to this, you know, part of the government to review it. And they will, you know, have edits and censorship as well. Um, law and justice-themed dramas go to the Ministry of Justice for review. And the Ministry of Foreign Affairs will check films touching on international relation or international topics. Historical wars that occurred after October 1st, 1949, so that's the date of the establishment of the PRC, are banned outright. Okay, to preserve Chinese um, stable foreign relations. Um, even a China-friendly drama about the Korean War, for example, would be denied under the regulation. And I'm assuming if you went ahead and shot some of this stuff, that it would be pretty bad, correct? Like, so You would not. 
yes. go ahead and shoot any of this stuff because you know you so would be dead well not not dead what what happens is the film industry over there if they go into a hong kong chinese production they're they're taking stock because again there's no set laws within the censorship that says you know outside of some of these black and white you can't make a movie about this um but if they want to gauge what the censors are really sort of getting worked up over they will look at what has been submitted in the last 18 months and take note of what's you know made it past the censors or the bureaucracy um and then kind of say oh well if we if we fine-tune the script this way we think it'll make you know that milestone and, and we'll see it on the big screen so they're constantly gauging other people's product um and it's not just from like quality control but it's kind of saying well, what are the censors approving or turning down at that point and and why that's important is Ip man is a co-production between china and hong kong which means it was specifically made with the intent of going to be shown to mainland China, it was going to be the biggest audience, right? So obviously it pulled in most of the money. Um, and so it, when they were creating Ip Man, they very much knew it's a historical drama. It's going to go through all these checkpoints. So our script has to be written in such a way that it wasn't going to depict anything bad about China, the government, its people, North, South, doesn't matter. Um, now you, you can depict Japan as just being totally heartless human. And obviously, you know, we'll at some point within this month, um, probably when we get towards the end of the series, talk about the historical accuracy of these films. Spoiler alert. There was a guy named it man. There you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it's, it's interesting. Like I said, it, you, you, Ip Man is known for what, Brad? I mean, why why does why does Ip Man even come up in the topic in today's world? Uh, fighting style, maybe like. Yeah, but he's known for one very specific oh, trivia. Fact. Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. Yeah. He was um, Bruce Lee's sifu, taught him Wing Chun. Um, and what's interesting about it is Hong Kong cinema, especially around this time period is way more fascinated with making the Foshan born Ip Man the focus versus Bruce Lee becomes a side note, right? Within the historical context. Um, and so you, you have to remember when you're, when you're watching Ip Man, and again, for those who haven't seen it, please, hopefully after you're listening, you know, to us talk about this film, you will go out and see it. But I think you got to watch it knowing a certain couple of things and the primary thing you have to know is that the film is an attempt to rewrite hong kong and china's historical identity um it it's why the unification and those topics are so um it's just a recurrent theme in the Ip man films especially this one and the filmmakers take a lot of liberty with the actual <laughs> historical accuracy of Ip man as a real life person and really try to create him as a major player in Chinese history, which when we do a deep dive on it, I, I think we will kind of see that that may not necessarily be the case. If they you're looking, it's kind of like a William Wallace character in a way. Yeah. Not like a, not like a freedom fighter, but they almost build him up. Like I, I kind of made that connection this time I watched it is like, 
oh, this is like William Wallace. Yes, the, but the way they're kind of playing it. Yeah, but I don't think he did anything near what William Wallace did. No, no. I, I think they want him to be William Wallace. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's my point. Like they yes. they want this to be their William Wallace for. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And again, it's. I don't think it takes away from the film. I, I think you can appreciate it, but I do think when you watch this film, and if anybody were to kind of say, well, two and three and four and even 3.5 Master Z, you know, got released over in the U.S., why didn't the first one? Um, I, I mean, I don't know all the reasons, but I think if you watch, when you sit down and watch all of these this month, if you're playing along, the first one is 100%. And I, I don't know if they saw this as becoming a series um, because obviously the way the film ends, it, it feels very final. I thought that Donnie said that he was only going to do one. I thought they kind of had to get him to come back for two. It was kind of like a struggle. What I read that, hey, I'm only doing one and then we're walking away from this. Um, yeah. And it wasn't until later that... Um, the director and Donnie were on board and they kind of moved on um, to make, you know, three more. So, yeah. And, and Donnie is not um, he did not grow up as a Wing Chun practitioner. So for it, man, he had to learn Wing Chun. So um, I don't know what's on the like American Blu-ray release of this film or something. But the, the Hong Kong, uh, the universe uh, Blu-ray I have had some actually great documentaries on there talking about some of the Wing Chun masters who trained Donnie Yen for this film. And everybody's like, you know, Donnie Yen is so amazing that for just learning it for the purposes of the film, he looks like he's been doing it all of his life. Um, but, you know, maybe next week when we get into Ip Man 2 and we spend a little bit more time with Donnie, we'll talk about Donnie's background. So uh, just talk about Wing Chun for a second. So it's very, and correct me if I'm wrong, Joey, because you'll probably know, right? This is just me kind of taking what I, what I saw, I don't really know the style that well. It's very soft, um, uses the opponent's attacks basically against them. Um, it's very defense heavy. Would you say? Uh, I, I don't, that's a whole, we can, okay. I, I will say this, the, the, there are elements of it. Yes. But you know, Wing Chun, I think is known for those qualities because you know, the creation of Wing Chun, um, is, is from a female, uh, so okay. it's a martial arts style that was created, you know, or um, made famous by a female. Um, and so I think people associate those qualities with it because of its origin. Um, but it is actually quite powerful. It's just, it's very close quarters. So yes. okay. Wing Chun yeah. practitioners are, are very close quarters. It's not your traditional Donnie Yen, I'm going to kick you six times in the face. I mean, if you watch any of the other dragon, you know, Tiger Gate in or, or any of the other Donnie M films that he's done. Um, Donnie N, you know, um, oh, what's the one he did? Legend, Legend of the Wolf, which I think he directed. I mean, that's that you want to see Donnie N, you know, his kicking skills. Just go back and watch some of the stuff he was doing in, in you know, the 80s and, and early 90s. Wing Chung is not a Donnie N style. Like, like I said, that's why he wasn't. Uh, uh, he wasn't trained in it because Wing Chun traditionally has lower kicks. It's a close quarter um, type combat system. It It is very fluid, um, but I think people kind of equate it to something of a soft style because, again, they equate equate that to the origin of it. Okay. Versus if, if you actually see a Wing Chun practitioner, when you watch it, and I think this film does a really good job of it, 
of, of showing it. Um, but it, it's very powerful. It's just all close quarters. I mean, and which is, you know, makes Donnie Yen sort of a weird choice for this because traditionally leading up to that, I, I don't know, again, just me, I always associated Donnie Yen with the guy who will kick your face like five times before you can get a punch in kind of thing. <laughs> so, cause he's, he's that quick. Yeah. I, I, I just wanted to, cause I, Going doing all the research and stuff, it's like oh Wang Chung, Wang Chung, and I was like, I, I know nothing about the style. So um, it was a great just, Michelle Yeoh movie, I think, um, that she did about you know the the start of Wang Chung. It's, it's it's good. I think I'm sure it's out there on Netflix. Okay, well, <laughs> it's it's not historically accurate, I'm sure, but hey, Michelle Yeoh doing Wing Chung, it's really cool. Okay. Um, I don't know what else. What else should we talk about? I I feel like, man, we could we could spend hours just going through every aspect of it. I I think this episode we were just trying to get into you and I and our our discovery of Hong Kong films, and and I wanted to set the table on this one because I think it's important to understand that, you know, possibly one of the reasons why it was never even considered for release in U.S. theaters was it's a propaganda film. I think for the most part. I mean, it was made for a very particular set of audience members um, with the goal um, to kind of tackle, I would say, Chinese identity. Um, and it is a very patriotic film. And and I don't say that in a, well, <laughs> this is weird. It, how do I say this? It's propaganda, but not of the, not of the kind of propaganda that you would look at it and go, oh, that's just horrible. Like what, what are they doing to their people? It it feels very much like they're trying to take a real life person and make a folk hero. Yeah, yeah, out it's of it. very yeah, um, folk hero ish, you know. Um, and and to be fair, Donnie Yen is Chinese, and yeah. I, I, I'm sure he has no problem um, building this character up to be um, this savior character from the Japanese Empire. I'm, I'm sure he was totally okay with that. Yeah, I I I'd equate this one to like how we you know. If we were ever making war films and you, and you get John Wayne and just, you know, rah, rah, America, and we come together to defeat, you know, this common enemy, I think you got to go into It Man thinking the same thing. Because when you're watching this series, and especially if you're a Westerner, as you go through this series, you're the bad guy. Um, but if you go back and look at Chinese history, uh, you were the bad guy <laughs> when you look at the occupations and what was done, you know, to those folks. But um, this is a very interesting film for me because if you if you pay close attention to what's going on in Hong Kong, even at the time that this was, you know, made, um, and especially now, I, I think it says some things that are very hypocritical, um, considering what the government does over there uh, as, from an outsider perspective, but I still enjoy it um, for what it is. And I would equate it to like a Chinese John Wayne film that we were making um, all those years in the U.S. where the U.S. was the, the biggest, baddest thing in the world, and we were taking on everybody, right? Yeah, and for a dumb American like me, you know, it's just a fun movie to watch. Yeah, so and, you can have it both ways. Absolutely. So let's get into that. I mean, I'm I'm curious. Uh, you're Now, you've watched this I don't know how many times now. Oh, quite a few. Um, for some reason, I, I kind of go back to the first one more than the others. Um, not saying that the first one is my favorite or anything like that, but... This is the one that I think um, sets up the character so well. Um, and it, it's funny, when I went back and watched it this time, I remember that, like, they kind of introduced, like, so many different antagonists at, oh, like, yeah. the first bit. And you're like, 
okay, this guy's going to be the antagonist. And like, oh no, here comes some outsiders. That guy's going to be the antagonist. And, you know, he they kind of are. But then all of a sudden, like, there's this hard shift. And then it's like, now we're occupied by the Japanese and everything's bad. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, it, it is a really kind of jarring shift in this movie that if you don't know that it's not com- if you know it's coming you're okay with it but it's like almost can take you out of the movie for a second cuz you're like wait a minute this is way heavier than i thought this was going to be um i just thought you know maybe he's like saving this town from these out of towners who want to come open up a school and no it's like way more heavy than that um it it does feel like it it's almost like two movies crammed into one yeah yeah you could almost get like this hey i'm going to protect my hometown and then no i'm going to protect basically our country um and it and it all within an hour and 45 minutes so um i think it does a really good job of making donnie yen master ip a very likable person um, even when he is not, um, you know, giving enough attention to his son who obviously likes to do art. Um, and you know, he, he seems to, you know, take, uh, kind of more liking to other boys, uh, because they want to train and learn how to fight. Um, but even then he is ultimately super likable and, charismatic without really trying like you know what i'm saying like yeah you could understand how you would want to learn from this person and feel kind of fascinated by just they never hide the fact that he really doesn't struggle fighting anyone in this movie even, he has no problem with anybody in this even film. at the the climax of the film there is you know a few times where he gets hit but basically he is almost untouchable throughout this whole movie and it's almost like he's a superhero but you believe that he has that ability and he is that much better than everyone else that i'm totally okay with it um normally you know you want to see your hero you know kind of gets pressed a little bit but here it's like donnie just takes everyone out back i mean there's the the 10 black belts and it's <laughs> literally over and you're like okay what what just happens um so well, yeah, that's, I, that's interesting because um, how you said so Donnie in this film is the ideal Chinese um, hero, it, ideal in every sense in terms of, you know, how he uh, fits in with his community, what he does for his country, um, even, you know, what you would you would say, well, the only negative thing you could find is maybe in he doesn't spend enough time with his son and his wife points that out. But even from a family guy, um, father, husband, everything else, he's just darn near perfect and everything. Yeah, he's even super rich and has a nice house. <laughs> yeah, but so. I mean, and that part is historically accurate. I mean, okay. um, going you know before the Japanese occupation, um, he did have a lot of money. Um, were in the town that he grew up, and I think it's interesting because, like you said. He, I think there are about seven major, I would say, action sequences. And through all of them, he's at no point do you think he's going to lose. Um, however, you feel his struggle based on the things that are happening outside of those action sequences. So the fact that he loses his home, 
um, and the Japanese army takes it over, the fact that he has to put food on the table, like those are the struggles that you really get behind. But as soon as the fists and the feet are flying, um, just yeah, the nobody, gone. nobody can stand up to him. But, yeah. but really, the, the conflict for this character is happening outside of, of the fight sequences. Now, can you explain to me what they were trying to do with the wife character? Um, because it seemed like early on they were trying to get like, oh, you listen too much to your wife or like, I don't know. And I don't know culturally what they were trying to do with that. I know they're trying to do something with the wife character. And I just, I don't know if I can put my finger on exactly what they're doing. Are they trying to make her feel like he's more tolerant to... You know, because culturally, she should be more subservient to him as a husband. Um, it seems like she kind of steps out of her lane a little bit um, in this film and doesn't really pay for it. Um, I know originally when I first saw this movie, I kept waiting for her to die because it seemed like that's where they were going because, you know, she was kind of stepping out when the outsiders were in the house and she right. was... Um, so I don't know. Can you shed some light on that for me? I, I, don't, you... I, I think it's when, when you look at this type of character, because, you know, the movie's called Ed Man um, and they're trying to show some drama because obviously uh, he, he is, you know, the ideal family guy. They're not going to portray it in such a way. Now, again, this movie's made in what, 2008. Mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> Chinese and <laughs> And female characters, it, it's so interesting because problematic. When you look at the, well, yes, it's always problematic when that topic comes up in the real world, like sociopolitical conversation. And and I wouldn't even know how to classify it. I don't know if it's one of those that they see, you know, they actually have an issue with, you know, equality within gender. I think you could point to a lot of things and say, yes, they do. I would say yes. Yes, but you could also look at their films and go, yeah, name another point in time in film history where the women were kicking everybody's butt as equally as the guys, and it's Hong Kong film cinema um, in general. Um, even in the 60s with the Shaw brothers, you know, Ching Pei Pei and all. They, oh, my God. There, there are so many just amazing um, actresses that came out of that film industry. So I'll say this, that you're probably right. If we were going for historical accuracy... Um, you know, you could probably say that the, the Chinese would be like, well, back at that time period, you know, pre-occupation, she would not have acted like that, but you're talking about making a movie in 2008. And I'll say this, the film industry, um, for, for Hong Kong, when it comes to, you know, female characters, I would say that, you know, I think they've done a pretty good job of trying to elevate them to a status of equality in their movies. Um, whereas maybe they don't practice that in real life, but... (laughs) Yeah, I just, I remember the first time I saw this, I just thought she had a ticking clock above her head. Like, okay, this is going to be that moment where the son and the wife are killed and it man has to basically avenge their death um, against, you know, the Japanese or whoever. Um, yeah, so... and it's, it, you, you kind of get that feeling based on the first part of the film because the, the first section when it's about the um, Southern Martial Arts Masters uh, and really talking about um, Foshan in terms of here is a city, which, by the way, 
the set design and everything for this film is just freaking fantastic. In yeah, terms for of the $11 million? Dollars? Oh Are my God, serious? it's gorgeous to look at. Um, but again, you start with, uh, I think, one of the martial arts tropes that you kind of hit on when you were talking about Shaw Brothers, which is, here's all these schools, and you know they're all vying to be the top spot. And even the very first fight that occurs within the film is you know, a new master who's setting up his school within the Southern District um, wants to go and have a private match with Ipmon. Um, and the first half of the film, the, the main antagonist is a northerner who comes with his troop and challenges all the masters of the Southern School. And you really get this old school Shaw Brothers 60, okay, this, you know, pre-Japanese occupation, this whole movie is about Ip Man stepping in and protecting the Southern schools from, you know, the Northern invaders, more or less. The, the yeah, you even think, invaders. you even think like the, maybe the conflict is going to shift that, oh, the brothers, you know, brother, you know, he saw them fight and started, you know, bad-mouthing yeah. Master Lee, was it Master Lee, is that his name? But anyway, is you know he starts to badmouth the guy who lost, and then he kind of like, hey, you dishonored me. And then I'm like, eh. so the plot at the beginning is very like, very stereotypical like kung fu film like, oh, honor, you know, dishonor, vengeance, um, rival schools, stuff like that. Um, and again, it takes that shift um, and, and, and kind of completely changes uh, kind of halfway through the movie. So. Well, so there's a, there's a reason for it, if you think about it. Now, you have to think about it from the context of being a mainland China, Hong Kong film goer. And, you know, this is the thing. This film is trying to take martial arts cinema tropes in history and introduce Ip Man in the context of that, right? Gotcha. So yeah. if you start your movie... Um, very similar to just about every film that has been made when you're talking about like uh, Fong Sai uh, with uh, Jet Li or, um, you know, Wong Fei, uh, the Jet Li character. I'm drawing a mind blank now. Wong Fei Hong. So if, if you think about some of these like cultural icons and some of the films that they've been portrayed or anything that Gordon Liu or any, you've got this whole the schools are going to fight mentality and you have this division between the North and South. So if you think about that, that is that is 100% supposed to be there because as an audience member, you're supposed to be thinking about mainland China and Hong Kong, the North and South. And there is a little bit of tension between those two. The North is coming in because Foshan is, is extremely prosperous, right? Ip Man is living the great life. All of these schools, you have all these martial arts schools that are popping up and there is a lot of commerce and a lot of industry at that point. And then here comes these northerners, and they try to take it over, and the southern masters fight against it, and Ip Man eventually pushes them back. That's a statement. So that is, from a film perspective, they are trying to say, yes, there is actual tension um, in terms of the identities between the north and south, which is actually going on in 2008 between uh, mainland China and Hong Kong. So that's why you start your movie that way, so that the audience can relate a little bit, right? Okay, yeah. But then what happens? You shift it, and now you have a common enemy, which is who? The Japanese occupation. The Japanese. Yeah. yeah. So you introduce this other plot thread that says it's not about the North and South anymore, because even the Northern, um, uh, is it Jin, who is still coming down, and they have the fight at the cotton mill. 
Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, he's he's uh, it man is is training everybody because it's it's kind of like the Rocky montage scene. It man doesn't want to teach anybody, but then he has to for obligation to the country. Um, and so now you've got this unification going on and an attempted unification between the North and South because they are living through the Japanese occupation and they have to come together as a country. And Ip Man's going to unite them through his teaching of Wing Chun. So that plot, there's a very specific reason. And that's why this is a little bit propagandish. <laughs> because if you're looking at what's going on in 2008, and you're saying, well, why would, they, why would they start with this story and then immediately shift to this? That's because it's the Chinese government saying, hey, guys, we need to get together and get along if we're going to survive what's going on outside of our borders. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So that makes a whole lot of sense when you put it in that kind of context. Yeah. Um, um, can we talk about the fight scene? So I, I was, yes. Absolutely. So, all right. <laughs> First fight, private match, right? Yep. Which is just fantastic. I, I just, what I love about this film so much is, and, and it's hard to find an action film where the action feels fresh. Like you, you can have wall to wall kicks, punches, throws the whole nine yards, but a lot of times it's the setting and it's the opponents and what your hero is going through and the uniqueness of it. And, and I, I, I wrote down all of these seven action scenes and I wanted to talk about them because I think they're all so unique. Well, and also you have like, I think an action scene or, or a fight scene should last no more than four or five minutes at most because you can't fight hard for that long um, and get beat up for that long. So these are nice, tight action scenes that oh, yeah. last, you know, two or three minutes. But a lot of ha a lot happens within those two or three minutes. Um, you know, I'm not going to call it realistic, but it, it helps because you're not saying, OK, these guys have been fighting. Some of the my criticism of like John Wick is some of those fight scenes feel like they go on for 15 minutes. And you're like, okay, these guys could not fight this long without, you know, collapsing at some point in time. You just, you, you physically can't do it. Um, here, they're nice and tight. They feel like, okay, these guys could go at it for this long. Um, this other guy probably couldn't get beat up for much longer <laughs> because, you know, all he's done is take shots. Um, yeah, and, and action should support the character. Yeah, and, and you kind of get that immediate kind of characterization of master Ip that he's ultimately still a nice guy. Um, he, you know, is beating this guy up, but also kind of helping him in the same way and, and kind of making sure he's not too badly hurt. Um, so, you know, even, even when he's beating somebody up, it's like, okay, I still like this guy. He's a pure gentleman. I, I yes. mean, that, you know, and, and he's he's humble and everything else. And, and I think that that private match establishes his character. Yeah. Um, humble right is very is, is very like spot on. Yeah. I mean, a guy shows up your door and says, dude, we're going to throw down. And he's like, well, hold on a second. I'm having dinner. And the other guy says, all right, I'll wait. Well, just have dinner with us. So they have dinner. They have dessert. They're having tea. And he's like, are you ready? Are you yeah, cool? I'm going to have a smoke real quick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's so congenial. But um. It, and and I think you you nailed it right. So my wife complains about a lot of the films I watch because you know, hey, uh, you can watch your your dramas or smoochy movies or whatever. I, I want to watch guys like hit each other. 
Um, and she has that same complaint with Tony Jaw film. She's like, yeah, it's okay, but at some point I've zoned out. Um, and it's just action for the sake of action, which is okay in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. But it doesn't elevate a film unless, like you said, the action, e even if it exceeds that five or six minutes, I'm okay with it as long as it either propels the plot, propels the character, or is telling a story within the action, right? And I think that first fight scene establishes all the character that you're you're going to get out of Master Ip um, through how he handles himself in that in that fight scene and even the consequences that happen after it. And that leads to the second big action sequences where the Northerners come in and they start challenging all the masters, right? And there's some fantastic choreography. And here's here's the other thing I noticed. So, um, I mean, Wilson Yip, Donnie Yen, they they use wire work in here. Um, it, what do you what's your thoughts on wire work in these kind of films? So this wire work definitely is not to the level of like the Matrix. Um, obviously not. I mean, the matrix is, is going for that, but I don't think any of it is too crazy. Um, it's definitely also not on the level of like crouching tiger or anything oh, yeah. like that. But so this, this isn't a Wuxia film, right? No, no. So it's used pretty sparingly. I want to say, I don't feel like I, I know there's a ton. Um, it's very select. And I, I feel like if you use wire correctly, it makes certain moves feel so big and spectacular, but if everything's on a wire, then it just kind of almost washes them all out. Um, so, you know, obviously jumps between guys and you kick both guys and all this stuff. So there, there obviously is some, but I like it in this movie because it's not overdone. I, I agree. I, I, I want to say um, it's it's not subtle, right? Because you you do get you that know wire, it when you see it. You know it when you see it. So you do get that guy who's like, "Wow, he shouldn't be able to hang like that <laughs> and uh, twist his body or you know land those eighteen kicks." Um, but it's it's not overbearing, and I actually think the best use of it is sort of highlighting um, what happens to the person that gets hit. Oh, the flying uh, backwards. A, a little bit. And, you know, like uh, one of the best things I like about Jackie Chan, like Jackie Chan uses wire work in a lot of his films. He's, he's used it in his classic films, but he uses it a little bit different. If he's kicking somebody's leg, um, he's using wire to where they hook it on the back of their heel. And you got four guys in the back pulling the guy's leg out so that when Jackie kicks it, it looks more dramatic. And there's a lot of that type of wire work going in here, just as much as it is to kind of accentuate the the flips and the kicks and everything else. Um, and you get the first taste of that really, and there's a little bit of it in the private match, but it really kind of starts showing itself within um, the Northerners challenging all the schools. Well, the Northerners um, come across as big, strong guys. Yes. Little, little, like their style is a little bit more barbaric in a way. Right, and... And what's funny is you get uh, you get to see all these different types of styles, which is always fun. I mean, that, that's half of the fun of some of these, you know, um, kung fu films is you get to see all the different styles of kung fu from leopard to snake to, you know, drunken and everything else. So um, when Jin then is done with all of the masters, the, the third fight takes place in Ip's house. 
Um, <laughs> and I love this because they're going at it a little bit and you can clearly tell, you know, Master Ip is sort of holding back. But as Jin is breaking things, he's like, don't worry, I'll pay for that, right? He's saying yeah. that over and over. And then sort of in the middle, the his son comes out and says, hey, dad, um, mom says you got to hurry up and end this thing before you break everything in the house. <laughs> and then he just unleashes on this guy. Well, and then also, you know, he kind of pulls out the, you know, he kind of goes for the weapon. And then that point in time, it's like, okay, this was very honorable now you've kind of overstepped your, your boundary a little bit. Now I'm going to kind of beat you merciless. You know, I, I'm going to make with you a look feather bad duster. Now. Yeah. With a feather duster. So, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, and again, that, that, that to me is Samuel Hung choreography right there because it's always fresh. It's original. Samuel Hung is probably one of, if not the best action choreographers, um, in the history of Hong Kong film, in my opinion, a lot of people point to, you know, Yun Wu Ping, which again, another fantastic you know top of his game yeah absolutely um, revolutionized everything but you know i i'd put sam Hung up there too um and then after you get that you get to the fourth sort of action sequences which is now you've shifted tone so your first three fights are all really about the you know introduction of it man from a character that gentlemanly um aspect that you talk about then you get the north south fights totally shifts tone and then you get into japanese occupation and the next action scene that comes up is the Southern Martial Arts Masters versus the Japanese Soldiers, which is pretty freaking brutal. Yeah, which this movie kind of turns into like a gladiator-esque movie all of a sudden. In oh, a way. yeah, like, that's a good comparison. Man. Yeah. Um, and then comes the fifth action sequence, which I'm just going to call it now. It is the highlight of the entire film which is Ip Man versus 10 Japanese soldiers. Oh, the black belts? Yeah. Yes. Um, it is freaking ridiculous. And if you think Donnie Yen's feet are fast, his fists are just as quick in this one. And nothing brings a smile to my face until he is just like pummeling that guy with 25 punches in a roll. Yeah, th this is the fight where you can kind of see Ip Man unleashed in a way to where yes. it's very brutal... He's not afraid now to break legs. Um, Steps you know, on a guy's face. Yeah. Um, kind of, you know, like you said, 25 punches to the face where the guy, you know, is mutilated. Um, yeah, it's it's to the – at that point in time, you realize he will now do anything to kind of save himself and his family. Um, so it's important in that point. Yeah, and, and this sequence probably has the most patriotic um, sequence – uh, in Chinese film, and I, I would equate it to if if you were looking for a comparison in American film, you're you're looking at it's Rocky again, Four. <laughs> it, it's that Rocky Four moment, right, where it's Go USA, and you get Donnie Yen as soon as he just wipes out these you know ten guys. And and keep in mind this happens after um, one of the fellow masters is, is shot in the head, right? And so the way the sequence goes is, in the setup is for every person that you beat, you get a bag of rice. So after he sees this guy being executed and um, blood hits this guy's bag of rice, you know, Master Rip goes out there and says, I want 10 of them. Just totally wipes the floor. And I mean, it it's amazing to watch. And the great thing about all of this choreography, it's not that quick edit crap that U.S. tends to do. There are good edits and there are some quick edits, but the camera is very much just taking a step back in a lot of sequences. Yeah, it's not as close in either. It's, yes, like you're you said, it's seeing everybody do their thing here. 
um, especially Donnie Yen. Um, and, and it's, it's like watching Gene Kelly, man, just dance across the screen. Um, it is, it is fantastic, but that sequence is like the Rocky four moment. Um, when he is done and he, you know, he, he's got a half eaten potato that he put to the side that he was saving for his family. Then he beats up these 10 folks. They throw 10 bags of rice at the floor. Um, in his response, you know, when they're asking, you know, what's your name? Because now this is the introduction of the big bad general um uh mura and he's saying well who are you and donnie yen's response is i'm just the chinese then he takes his half-eaten potato the bag of bloody rice and walks out the door and leaves the other 10 bags that he just i mean talk about some powerful imagery just that sentence that is supposed to you know can you imagine seeing that in like a sold out audience in Beijing or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Everybody probably lost their mind during that sequence because you talk about the total ultimate Chinese badass and just threw down on 10 guys and just goes, you know, I'm nobody. I'm just another Chinese guy and I'm not taking your Japanese rice. I'm taking this and I'm out the door. Yeah, and you 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 mentioned the general and I think it's important to kind of mention that he is more honorable than some of the other Japanese guys. Like his kind of right-hand man is the guy who shoots the guy. And he's like, looking guy. (laughs) Yeah. What are you doing? Like, you know, that's not what we're doing in here. Um, he does have some honor to him. And I think that's important, um, to set up the climax that show like, you know, I, you know, this guy and me are going to eventually fight. Um, and, it's important that we do it with honor, even though this guy is Chinese, I'm Japanese, we're still going to have honor between us because that's what, you know, I guess he's saying, you know, we're going to test out your karate versus my karate, but there's still a mutual respect between them. Well, um, and he yeah. understands that he has to beat, if, if Ip Man is the best martial artist, he can't beat him with a bullet. That just creates a martyr, right? Yes. He has to prove Japanese superiority by using his martial arts against Wing Chun. To, exactly. To, to basically just, he's, he's not just fighting Ip Man, he's, he's really fighting all of the Chinese identity and confidence and everything else of that nation. And if he can tear it down in a single match, I mean, that, that's what he's looking for. But ultimately, like, I know he's there occupying their country, which is bad, obviously, but he is not a terrible person. Um, oh, in, well. In a way, well... <laughs> He's your Japanese bad guy. He's I mean, so the only. But in comparison, he's not the worst. He's not the worst, but he still represents the outsider, the the one note Japanese guy. And like you said, they do try and give him a little bit of depth by. I feel like they worked honor. on him a, a little bit. I I, I feel. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's he's not totally shallow. He's not like his little buddy with the glasses that. Yeah. Just he looks like a weasel. Um, but yeah, no, I totally get it. And I, I really, he has screen presence. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I I like him. Yeah. He, he, you see him, he looks menacing. And for most of the film up until the final fight, you think that it man's going to have a tough time with that guy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he kind of does, but okay. So that's the fifth fight is with the 10 Japanese black belts. Um, and soldiers. The sixth fight is in the cotton mill. And again, it's the reintroduction of the northerners um, who are kind of beating up Simon Yam, his son. And and that is the introduction of Ip Man coming into as teacher. 
So keep in mind, you know, again, we'll get to the historical accuracy of what really happened in, in this time period for Ipman when Japan came in to occupy. Um, and then you get that last fight, which is Ipman versus Mura. Uh, I hope I saying that right. Um, and that seventh fight, you do, I think the first time you watch that, you go, okay, he's gone through, you know, you, you're watching a film, there's six major action scenes. Um, and you're thinking nobody has really given him a problem yet, but this guy, it, it's going to be Rocky four between <laughs> the Russian and Rocky, um, you know, Ivan and Rocky. And, and you're expecting that because there's even a little bit of a size difference, I think, between, um, these two characters. Yeah. And, and for like the first 15 seconds, you're like, uh Oh, you know, there's, you know, he gets one little shot on him and you're like, okay. This is we're gonna buckle in because we're gonna have a fight, and then all of a sudden it's like, nope, not a problem. Um, and again, we we mentioned it. Well, he has nope. an out too before because they tell him if you lose, that that's what we want you to do. Yeah, and, if you win, think, we're gonna kill you. Yeah, if you win, we're gonna kill you because we just can't let that happen, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess so. Are we to believe that initially he was like, okay, I'm going to lose? Because I, I don't want think to that was yeah, I was, ever. I was, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think he went in there going it. He assumed he was going to die, um, and if he was going to die, fine. But he was not going to die at the hands of you know Japanese martial arts. Yeah, but I, I think what we mentioned earlier is normally you would want the climactic fight to to, sh- to show some struggle, but you believe that this guy is so much better than everyone else that it would be no contest. This guy has literally committed his whole entire life to Wang Chung. And that's how it's going to go badly for the general. Well, again, of course it is. If your message is (laughs) that there is nothing that's going to keep the the Chinese people down. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you look at this as through the lens of propaganda, of course, (laughs) Yeah, there there was there was no contest, you know, from that perspective. Yeah. But it's still an exciting fight. I mean, even to the point where they're throwing punches and he has to do I mean, he gets knocked on his butt and does that um I mean, kind of lands on his back and flips forward and then again, flurry of fists coming. What I what I like about the action choreography, uh I think anytime Donnie Yen is doing it, you still get some, you know, traditional Donnie Yen powerful kicks, but it is very good at showing the close quarter combat of Wing Chun. Um, and, and you get to see it in sort of all of its furious glory to some degree. And like I said, I, I think it does get, um, that stigma of being, oh, it's much more soft or fluid. I mean, those guys, (laughs) they're really hitting each other. And, you know, that's the thing about Hong Kong cinema. You got to realize too, if you ever watch a lot of stuff from the eighties and nineties, they would put powder on their bodies so that when they got hit, the powder would come off their body a little bit yeah, to show up. the audience that we're really hitting each other. So, <laughs> um, and you get, you know, a lot of that within this film too, you know, even in 2008. Yeah. I, the, the seven action scenes in this movie are, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen it, any one of these might be one of the best action scenes you've ever seen. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that's how it really got attraction to an American audience is because, you know, cause that stuff was, translates well. Action oh, translates yeah. well. Yeah, and, and, you know, for most people who don't even, um, I, I would say, are as hardcore maybe about searching out Hong Kong cinema the way you and I are, 
Um, I, I think a lot of people have seen Ip Man movies within our circle, but I don't think a lot of people, um, you know, really get into this because, oh, it's subtitled or, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to like it because it looks like another Chopsaki film from, you know, the 60s or 70s. <laughs> I, 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 it's, hey, it's melodramatic. Um, it, it's got that element um, that I think attracts a lot of people from a drama perspective. But the action sequences, you're not going to see action like this in an American film. Yeah, but to not cut the the stuff in between the action is really good too. Like it, it is. The, no, the plot goes well, and even the scene where the guy opens up his brother's tin and he pulls out the kite, like yeah. that's a pretty gut wrenching scene. And you're like, oh man, like they're really going for it. Now the tears and stuff, that's a bit much, but uh, you know. But still, I think the cause sometimes with with action films, the stuff that the quiet parts between the action mm-hmm. like make a big difference. Oh, um, they do. You I, don't I, always want to say, okay, when are we getting to the action scenes? Come on, get through this crap. Let's get to the other action. Here, you're kind of invested in the story um, to where you know you're not always anticipating the next action scene because you care what's going on. Well, you want to know what happens to Master Rip and his family. Yeah. I mean, that honestly, I'll, I'll give this, and we'll talk, probably talk about this through the core of the film. The great thing this movie does, even outside of the action sequences, it really does an amazing job of establishing the drama within that family or what that family had to go through, being homeless, you know, scrounging for food, etc. Um, and the relationship between Master Rip and, and his wife and son, I mean, you like you said, the stuff between the action sequences, you want to know what happens to that family and how they endure all this stuff. It, it just makes for good filmmaking. Yeah, and even shows like him growing as a father, which, you know, is, is important too, so. Oh, yeah, and can, can we just say like Donnie Yen, is, he can act. Yeah. Like, uh, most, most, of, <laughs> most of these martial arts, you know, Tony Jaa is a great example. Um, I like him, can't act his way out of a closet. Uh, sorry, but Donnie Yen, oh my God, he's, he's a great actor. Yeah, so when the soldiers, like when he kind of turns himself in, like there's some good acting at that point. He runs around the corner and like there is like straight up like I am going to act the hell out of this scene. And <laughs> does, you believe he, it. He does so good with torment and just, you know, that built up aggression, but he's trying to like push it down. There's a reason he was in a Star Wars movie. Like there is a reason. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. And I think there's a reason why he has international appeal um, is because he's great at the action. He makes it look so effortlessly. But on top of that, he's got some great acting chops. I mean, some fantastic. He does. I, I One of the movies I would love to talk about because technically it kind of bombed over here because it was coming out, you know, at the, the start of this COVID stuff is Enter the Fat Dragon, um, which uh, it it's really a throwback to... It, it is the closest 90s Jackie Chan film that Donnie Yen has ever made. It's fun. Okay. Um, think Nutty Professor doing Kung Fu because it's mm. Donnie Yen in a fat suit. Oh, fat suit? Yes, mm. and you're like, ah, but I'm telling you, it's a fun film. It's done really well. Even though the director is usually probably providing more misses than hits. Um, but if you watch that film, you watch Ip Man, um, 
you watch Mulan. I mean, I, I don't know if you watched it this weekend. I gave Disney my 30 bucks because... I did too. Yeah, Donnie Yen and Jet Li are in it. And, I've seen the uh, first half an hour of that movie like seven times. <laughs> and I just... I mean, Donnie Yen is good in everything that he that he does for the most part. I, I just... Well, the Iceman movies, no. Th- oh. Those are... I don't like those. But um, Ip Man, I think, solidified... It just showed the world what he can do from a dramatic perspective. No, I, they picked the right guy to do this film to make it and have later on when we get further in the series international appeal because you know he does translate well um, in the United States and abroad. Yeah, and and here's the thing. So uh, anytime I bring up a Donnie Yen film, Tabitha, my wife, is like, "Oh yeah, let's watch Donnie Yen." Um, because she knows at some point in a Donnie Yen film, he's going to take his shirt take off. Take his shirt off, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Donnie Yen, whew, yeah, I, yeah there's a reason. <laughs> he's, he's pretty awesome. Um, but I got to say, you know, this might be one of the few Donnie Yen movies where he doesn't take his shirt off, and Tabitha is still impressed by this film. So <laughs> that says something about the quality of it, I think. <laughs> that's a weird serial <laughs> approval but, you know. yeah um here here's the thing that uh kind of struck me as odd so there is a a sequence when it man is is sort of talking about violence and he's speaking to the japanese army and he's really talking about martial arts teaching benevolence and accuses the japanese army of using the violence to oppress the chinese people so you definitely get this. Uh, and here's the difference is this speech that he's going on. It's another moment. It's a very rah-rah Chinese people moment. I don't think it's as powerful as that sequence after beating up the 10 Chinese black belt sh- soldiers, taking the potato and the rice. But he's, he's going on about, you know, martial arts, benevolence, Japanese army, violence is oppression. And every time I, I hear that, it's the one thing that makes me crazy cringe a little bit um because i i don't think it's a it's a great scripting moment moment um within the film but i think it's it is pretty hypocritical because um when you're being that preachy about oppression during these years <laughs> um especially in a in a work like this which is supposed to be you know supporting the nationalistic pride you know china is sitting there condemning the japanese occupation yet how it treats its own citizens in its subtle oppression it it it's hard to take very seriously it's, <laughs> and, it's and critical I, it is and it, and it really kind of shows within that scene i would say most of this movie works for me but when i get to that scene um it's it's the most hypocritical nationalistic propaganda um i've i've seen in a long while and and i always remember it because every time i watch it i'm like yeah that that one doesn't work for me as much as the potato and the, the bloody rice does um i don't think it's as powerful and i think it's a it's an example of here's where the script really shines versus here's where it just feels really clunky and then when you're when you're being that preachy given how you treat you know your people it, it's not working for me no i'm right there with you it, it yeah especially you know when you know this is like a propaganda film, it's like okay, that, there's the there's the big you know propaganda line. So yeah, and that that's when you you just kind of want to look at the screen and go, eh, Donnie, you you really trying to sell a you know heck out of this thing, but your your acting cannot. You're not buying it. <laughs> well, you just it cannot ele- elevate the BS in in that uh, in that moment. But um, 
you know that that's the, that's the only part of the film where I just get taken out of it for a minute, um, and it and it feels propagandish. I mean, everything else about this film, I don't think is as overt. Yeah, I mean, and you can you can move past it pretty quickly. Um, it is. I mean, it's, someone it's who's ignorant to a lot of this stuff, like it it never bothered me to where it was so overt that I was like, oh gosh. But yeah. Um, so before oh 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 yeah yeah yeah. Before we get off talking on Donnie Yen. Did you ever play the video game Sleeping Dogs? No, Cameron did. Do you know that he is attached to play a character? Yeah, he's, in... he's doing a, a film based on that video yeah, game. Yeah, right? yeah. So we'll see. Video game films, you know, have, you know, they have a bad track record of even coming out. And when they do come out, they're usually pretty bad. But maybe this one will be pretty cool because I think that's pretty perfect for him. So. Oh, yeah. I, I'll tell you this. The only thing keeping Hong Kong cinema alive right now, I think, is Donnie Yen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. From an action uh, perspective. So um, I think he, right now he's he's Hong Kong's best export um, in terms of quality of film and everything else. And, you know, pretty soon in, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Ip Man 4, which is, you know, was was just released out this uh, last Christmas at the end of 2019. Um, and even something like Enter the Fat Dragon, it, it's such a blast to watch. I, I can say, honestly, I don't get as excited about the recent slate of Hong Kong films. I get really excited about the South Korean films. I, I think they're just on fire right now. Okay. Um, but Hong Kong films, I'm, you know, un- unless it's got Jackie or Donnie, I, I'm, I just, I don't care. Um, and even some of the stuff that I've seen recently. Wow, a scathing indictment by Troy. <laughs> well, I just it's it. They're just, you know, they're just not as interesting. Um, I'm trying to think about the last one that I took a chance on, uh, and I just didn't care about too much. Um, gosh, what was it? Well, that's how awesome it was. Like the the last, the last Asian film that I really liked was a Korean film called Exit, um, which think of you know think of it as like cliffhanger within a bunch of, uh, you know, skyscrapers in downtown, you know, Korea. But um, like the, the last Hong Kong film, Undercover Punch and Gun, which I think came out in 2019. Uh, and I was kind of excited about that because I think it had Andy on in it or something. But I, I thought the action was pretty boring, lame. I mean, it wasn't nothing to the quality of, of what you see in the Ip Man films. But yeah, I mean, we always got, you know, the 80s and, and 90s, I guess. Yeah, you can always go backwards, too. Yeah. And, and that might be a problem, you know, kind of suggesting these films is these are like the some of these are like cream of the crop. And they, they are. And, and you know, again, if we just got done talking about, like, what's the state of Hong Kong cinema right now? Well, you're only going to get something out the door in a big way unless it's a Chinese co-production. And as soon as you go down that path. Yeah, it, it's kind of problematic. You're not you're, you're not going to your topic is going to be very vanilla or it's going to be very nationalistic. Right. Exactly. Um, I texted you something and I didn't uh, get a chance to follow up. So watching this movie brought me back to go, oh, I want to go and revisit Wong Kar Wai's uh, The Grandmaster, Grandmaster from 2013. And, you know, there's like uh like four versions of that thing. It it got released over here in a 108 minute version, but there's 130, 122, 111. I watched the um the US Blu-ray. Did did you have a chance to watch that? I watched a little bit of it uh today just to kind of get a feel for it. Um I liked what I watched. I mean, yeah, go go back and finish that thing. Uh, okay. 
um, if if anybody is interested in you know it man and you want it there there's been a tv series now i mean this movie was huge in that it spawned a lot of different it man properties um not just you know the donnie yen movies but um there's a tv show there's a couple of other films that yeah, were there was done. something from like 2013 was that the tv series yeah i, I think so i mean there okay. anthony wong did an it man film so uh but i, I think out of it, out of all of those, if you're going to look at something, go back and watch The Grandmaster. Yeah, it was a it was actually nominated for an Academy Award. Um, was it? I, I knew it was a selection best foreign for language, best... best foreign language film. I think it was submitted for best foreign language. Did May... it actually? Uh, I didn't think it made the cut. The film was selected as as the Hong Kong entry for. Yeah, but oh, it did, did not it didn't did make not make it. The... Okay, sorry. Yeah. I should no, have finished no. the sentence. <laughs> yeah, it was submitted for, you know, best picture um, for their, you know, for that country. But, you know, Academy Awards didn't pick it up. But it was nominated for best choreography and best costume design. In Academy Awards? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's it's fantastic. Go back and watch it. I mean, it's okay. It's um, directed by Wong Kar-wai. It has Tony Leung and Zhang Ziyi. So... I mean, Zhang Ziyi's been in Rush Hour 2 for anybody who's, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, obviously. So she's got a bit of American presence. Tony Long's been in tons of Wong Kar Wai films, and um, he, he's an amazing actor. But it's a different take on Ip Man. It's very stylistic. Um, it is dealing with a lot of the same time period. Um, it, it does take a lot of liberty. And again, it's another Hong Kong Chinese co-production so keep in mind that you're you're not going to get a historically accurate telling of Ip Man. Um, and the action choreography is done by, uh, I think, Yun Wu Ping. So um, it, amazing choreography. It's a little bit different than Sammo Hung's, where, uh, and I think that also deals with the director. Wong Kar Wai and Yun Wu Ping have very stylized fight choreography. It's gorgeous to look at. Um, and, you know, Sammo Hung is, is really bringing... Uh, a more exciting, visceral, uh, you can feel the punches kind of choreography in Ip Man. But the choreography in The Grandmaster is is fantastic, too. So you got to check it out. So if we wanted an accurate telling of Ip Man, like someone basically in the United States would have to put something together, get actors, <laughs> hopefully not whitewash the damn thing, but to get actors to do it, and then they could tell kind of the accurate story. But... The accurate story really, he was a boring. guy. Yeah, it's he so was boring. just a guy. He was just a guy. So, just a guy. Yeah. I, honestly, I don't, I mean, I would love to pick this up in one of the episodes because I, I know we've been just talking a lot about the first Ip Man. But, you know, a question for anybody who's into Hong Kong films like Brad and I, um, you know, would, would Ip Man even be a thing if it weren't for Bruce Lee? I don't know. Oh. Yeah. I mean, he, he obviously popularized Wing Chun, but, you know, if if uh, if Bruce Lee were not attached to his legacy, um, would would we even, you know, would we even have the Ip Man folklore? I, I think we would because China is really good about taking a <laughs> historical figure and just saying, hey, we're going to rewrite history and look at this guy. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think Ip Man would be such a big deal if it weren't for Bruce Lee, but we can, yeah. you know, I, I'm and, curious what everybody else's thoughts on that. And, you know, they, they do basically call it out at the very end of this movie and they're like, Hey, here's Ip Man and Bruce Lee together. Cause he taught him. Yay. You know, like it's a very like 
exclamation point to the end of the story sort of deal, which, you know, at the time, I'm sure when this movie comes out in 08, you're like, okay, that's the Ip Man story. And, you know, you hear that, oh, Donnie wasn't really on board to do any more of these and the director wasn't either. And then slowly it kind of comes together and then boom, it's like, okay, now we're going to do three more. So, um, yeah. And, and I, I'm telling you, if Bruce Lee, you know, was known for Chen Quan and all of a sudden we knew that, you know, his master for Chen Quan, we'd be like, Oh, we're watching that guy's movie. Yeah. Um, in, instead of it, man. So that, that's just my take on it. Well, Brad, um, w- do we even have to go there? It, it's not a bomb. Not right? a bomb. No. At all. We love no. this film. Um, e- even even in the environment that it's made, which I think is problematic, it still is so exciting to watch. And it it's proof positive that Donnie Yen, I mean, is freaking Donnie Yen for a reason. I mean, that that's he's an international star. And I, I this man, what a resume with this film. Yeah. Um. Hey. So for people who are just like you know, wanting to get into Hong Kong films and stuff, make some recommendations. I have some, do you have some that you would make like off the top of your head? I, I mean, I always start with the Jackie Jan stuff. I, I think it, honestly, if you want to go and, and just get people police, acclim- yeah. you know, police, police story, story project a and, and drunken master two, I think are the three that, um, will really get you excited about Jackie Chan movies. Um, City on fire is one for me. Yeah, uh, that's <laughs> definitely a fantastic Chai Fat. But even then, with Chai Fat, you, I think we already talked about The Killer, Hard Boiled. A Better Tomorrow. Yeah, Better Tomorrow and Better Tomorrow 2. Um, John Woo has a great filmography between the Better Tomorrow movies and uh, Bullet in the Head. Oh, yes, Bullet in the Head. Um, I'm trying to think of some other... And again, if you're... A lot of people... What do you uh, think about Mr. Vampire? Are you a Mr. Vampire oh fan? Oh, my God, I love... So there's like okay. five of those? Yeah. Um, varying degree, but I would definitely go through and, uh, watch the Mr. Vampire Chinese horror is very unique. Um, and sometimes you, sometimes you get have, the house. Yeah. You, you got, well, that was Japanese, right? Oh, Taozu. sorry. Sorry. Yeah. So, but if you're doing Chinese horror, troublesome night, stuff like that, um, there, there's some good films in there, but they, they're the Chinese horrors. Uh, how do I say it? It can be good, but you'll you'll stumble through that one with some turkeys. Did you see the Warlords? I think it was yeah. like oh six. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If, if you're going back to Jet Li, Fist of Legend, man. Fist oh, of yes. Legend. Um, my wife's favorite is the uh, Fong Se Hook, uh, or uh, I'm saying it wrong. Um, it's called the Legend over here. Oh. Uh, it is. Did we watch that for movie matchup? I don't think so. I, we. This is not. I was just thinking about this the other day. This was not the first Donnie Yen film we talked about. We watched oh. True Legend, oh, which True was Legend. a Yen Wo Ping film, but we watched it against Bodyguards and Assassins, Assassins with Donnie Yen. Which, yes, okay. Um, but the Jet Li film I'm trying to think of, um, Fong Sayuk, I think is what it's called, and it it's fantastic. Um, uh, Infernal Affairs, which is basically what The Departed was based on. Um, yeah, and there's three of those. So that whole trilogy yeah. is fantastic. Um, if you want something that's a little goofy gently, uh, I highly recommend, I think it's on Netflix too, high risk. Oh yeah. So it's Wang Jing directed it. And, and again, he's, he's an interesting cat, but <laughs> if you watch high risk, it's Jet Li and Jackie Chung. And the premise of this one is Jackie Chung is this famous movie star 
and he's known for doing all of his action scenes, right? But what everybody doesn't know is he drinks so much that he can't do his action scenes anymore, so he's being doubled by his bodyguard, played by Jet Li. And what happens, the whole premise of the movie is, because it, it, really they're making fun of Jackie Chan here, but they go to this um, opening within a big high-rise complex that gets taken over by terrorists, and uh, next thing you know, um, hilarity ensues with a lot of action, and it's uh, it, it's fantastic. And they even make fun of uh, Bruce Lee a little bit in there, too. Oh, not on Netflix, but on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, there you go. Okay. And then, listen, uh, anything by Michelle Yeoh, Royal Warriors, Yes, Madam, is fantastic. Those are on um, Prime, so definitely check those out. Um, you might make fun of me for this one, but Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain? Yes. I like Zoo Warrior stuff. So the first one, so it was, uh, Troy Hark um, had really done that one in, I think it was the late 70s. But what's interesting is, you know, the people that worked on the special effects for that one worked on Star Wars. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, oh my gosh, uh, I'll say this. Um, the internet will provide you with tons of recommendations, but stay away from people. I'll, I'll give you a great example. Um, I, I can't remember what forum or what... I was participating in, but um, Wuxia Films, which if you look at it and it's spelled W-U-X-I-A, um, there's a gentleman uh, who I think was pronouncing it like Wuxia, and you know the X was he was pronouncing it out. Uh, and and a lot of people who love Hong Kong films, Chinese films, were jumping all over this guy for not saying it correctly. And and you can you can Google right now like how do you properly say W X I A? Um, I say it Wuxia, um, and I'm I'm sure I'm, I might be getting it wrong. But what I find problematic about some of the people who really enjoy Hong Kong cinema, especially those who aren't Chinese, are picking on all the people for not getting the names, the titles. Oh yeah, that's what it was called over here in America, um, you know, Kill Zone, but it really is SPL over there. Or, you know, Touch of Zen or Dragon, you know, Tiger Dragon Gate Inn or all of the films. They they nitpick people who are trying to dip their toes into it and enjoy well, it's, it. It's gatekeeping with every, every everything kind of has like this gatekeeper mentality to it. So, yeah, um, if you run across those people who are trying to look, if you want to say W-U-X-I-A as Wuxia, go right on ahead. Just Go watch the movie. Enjoy the film. Who cares at that point, right? Spoken like a guy who can't say anyone's last name. I can't. Look, look at me. I mean, I've, I, I'm sitting here just surrounded by I don't know how many films. I've got a whole wall of just no, Chinese films. I it, can't it, pronounce half of them, but I love the hell yeah, out of every and, single and, one. And you're, tr and you're so right. Like, gatekeeping is so weird because now I have a, I have a Star Wars tattoo. I'm not going to say I'm the biggest Star Wars fan, um, but, you know, it, it means something to me. And you'll never imagine how many people come up and like try to test you on like stuff that like, you know, they're just asking you a question. You're like, guy, look, you like Star Wars the way you like it. I like it the way I like it. Let's just leave it at that. So, oh, I know. And, and that's funny you bring up Star Wars because the, the two, I don't know if you would call it like um, pockets of fandom that I always scratch my head on is Star Wars and, um, you know, people who are big fans of, of, uh, Kung Fu cinema and Chinese cinema, and they get also been out of type. Look, if you like, grew up in anime, anime, <laughs> in anime, also, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you grew up 
not um, being able to speak that language and you're trying to make heads or sense of the title. I mean, it's so hard to even find some of these titles on IMDb because they'll go off of the original title. Um, and I'm just telling it it really gets on my nerves having conversations about these because I, I'll be the first to tell you I mess up every name, title of the film from here, you know, to tomorrow. But um, just if you run across those people who are trying to give you recommendations and are, are really sticklers for this, that, and the other, stay away from them. Just do a little research on your own. IMDb is problematic because, again, you, you kind of got to spell the actual original title out. But there's, you know, um, filmsmash.com, I think, is a, is a good website that I go to, and they have a lot of good reviews of current films. Um, but, yeah, I, if you're playing along, please, if you haven't watched It Man, go watch It Man. I think... Um, the director of Parasite, when he won the Academy Award, had said it the best and, and said, you know, ev you've got these subtitles across the screen. Don't let that be like the Great Wall where it stops you from enjoying all this culture or international cinema that's out there. I mean, and I'm guilty of it, too, sometimes like, you know, I'll put on one of these movies and I was like, OK, I'm just going to watch it dubbed right now because I'm going to do other stuff. And, that's and I've seen this a 100 times. I know exactly what happens. And, you know, I don't really, you know. So, yes, watch the subtitles because that's how it was intended to be. But don't get hung up on any of that stuff. Just watch it how you watch it and enjoy it how you enjoy it. A hundred percent. I will never. I think if any Bruce Lee or Bruce Lai film comes on, like any of the Bruce Lee clones, I won't ever watch them with subtitles because I, I love the dubbing of it. Yeah, Shaw <laughs> I mean, Brothers, me, that's, just, that's part of it. Like when, yeah. you, when you go back and watch it, the horrible dubbing is part of the fun. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's um, actually a lot of websites that <laughs> kind of, uh, you go to YouTube rabbit hole of just all the bad dubbing that's out there yeah. and the translations are pretty fun. <clears throat> yeah. Man, so it's not a bomb, bomb by the way. No, oh. it's definitely not a bomb. <laughs> and so one last thing before we wrap things up, uh, Troy, if anyone of the eight people who visit our, our website, um, repeatedly will notice that we actually have a second podcast, oh, yeah. um, on our, on our website now. It's friends with Cinefits. Um, it is. It's done with our buddy Alex. Um, he started it um, a little while ago. The first episode is out on the website. I believe it's on Spotify right now. So if you search for it, uh, friends with Cinefits on Spotify, you'll you can get that. Um, basically, he brings on a guest and they talk about review a film. Um, so you got to remember too that these guys are like. 23 years old. So when I was listening to the first episode, they were talking about films they've never seen. And I was like, or films they just saw for like the first time the other day. And I was like, man, I am old. Well, the so. first movie they discuss, um, cause I've known Alex for a very long time. Um, they talk about gladiator and I was shocked to, to learn that that was like the first time Alex had seen gladiator. Yeah. Which so. I saw gladiator in the theater. So yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's a great listen. Um, we were so happy when Alex reached out to us that, you know, um, we could help and, and kind of get it started off the ground. And, and, you know, if you, if you like us, go and give that one a, uh, chance and a listen. Um, it's a lot of fun. I mean, yeah, for sure. Alex is a great personality. So he actually talked to him on the phone. So it was like, he was like, man, it's really weird. Cause I, you know, I kind of know your voice. I kind of know who you are. So, <laughs> yeah, so no, I'm sure cool. we'll have him on at some point in time. Definitely. Definitely. Um, 
Brad, if anybody wants to send us uh, another email um, or have questions or even, you know, feedback about their experience, I would, I am always fascinated by people who love Hong Kong cinema, especially from the 80s and 90s and hearing how they kind of fell into it. Um, but if anybody wants to give us feedback, um, tell us how awesome we are or how not awesome we are. And if anybody wants to correct any of my facts that I've been uh, dropping on some of the subjects Impossible. around Donnie Yen, please let me know. I'm sure I'm, I'm getting something wrong. Um, but how, how do they get a hold of us, Brad? Uh, Gmail uh, for email is notabombpod at gmail.com. Twitter is notabombpod. And our website is notabombpodcast.com. Um, again, visit that, uh, check out friends with Cinefits. Um, yeah. So again, next week we're rolling this it man train to it man two. Yes. Um, we'll have some different other talking points as well. Uh, week three would be it man three and master Z. And then the final week would be it man four, the finale. Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited about September. Um, October, we're lining up our spooky season. So we're just going to be talking about spooky films. Anybody has any recommendations for bombs that are horror related? We're still looking for some, we've, we've got a little bit of a list, but we keep yeah. changing our mind. So if anybody just has something that we definitely have to sit down, watch and talk about, I would love know. to see something new. Um, oh, every yeah, October, I feel like I watch the same, you know, 15 or, you know, 16 films. I feel like, you know, I, I want to branch out a little bit, so. Yeah, and I we're trying we are trying we're really trying to get better about tweets. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, at some point we're just gonna have to have my kids or something do the whole uh, social media thing. But um, you can follow us on Twitter too. I'm uh, surprisingly I think my handle is Yen Chan Troy. Uh, Brad, what's yours? Oh gosh, you're putting me on the spot. I don't even know if I remember. I don't know I... either. I just start typing your name in, and the little uh, phone. Oh, says, bra uh, breaking Brad 06. There you go. All right. Yes. So follow us, and um, you can see all the behind the scene photo, not photos. I think I post once a week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this was fun, man. I I love talking about Donnie Yen. Yeah. So. Hong Kong films and horror films were kind of where you and I kind of bonded the most. Um, when oh we yeah. First met so. I was kind of fascinated by your knowledge of the genre um, at that point in time. It was, and it still is, it, it was unmatched for me. So um, every time you kind of go down this rabbit hole, I always learn something new. So I appreciate your love of this genre because I, I learned so much through osmosis and then just you talking. So No, I get, I get you know, and I, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I need to set you up with some stuff that I have on Laserdisc. <laughs> and get them transferred over because yeah I, I totally when we got into this topic i was like oh yeah what what films have i not seen for a little bit and i've got stuff like uh there's a chinese or hong kong film called run which is really a remake of um, robert rodriguez uh el mariachi oh. so what's amazing like if you if you want to go see um hong kong films that are remakes of international films they're definitely out there and there's some good stuff i mean you can watch black cat which is uh really a remake of um La Femme Nikita, uh, or, you know, Point Blank's a remake of La Femme Nikita, but uh, Jade Long, Black Cat, Black Cat 2, those are great films, but oh, I'm wow. just telling okay. you, once you once you go down, I got to get you some of these films, because there's a lot of stuff that I know you haven't seen, um, you know, Samuel Hung's wife, She Shoots Straight, that that film is fantastic, and I know they're doing a Blu-ray, I think they just did a Blu-ray release of that one 
Um, and you got to see that one too. So okay. expect the next three weeks of me just giving you tons of recommendations since we're playing in this uh, oh, yeah. in this wheelhouse for a while. We got our feet in the pool, so let's go swimming in it. Awesome. Well, anything else, man? No, I think we're good to go. Well, man, thanks for spending a couple hours just uh, talking movies again. I, and it's especially some of my favorite films. So, um, And everybody, I don't know if you're listening in the morning or evening, we certainly appreciate um, you joining us. We hope you share our love for all things Donnie Yen. Send us some feedback. And um, with that, I will uh, tell everybody good night or good morning. Later on.